I like the blues music. I decided to keep it, at least for the start of this We Tackle Life podcast. Hi, everybody. I'm Bruce Hooley. It is an April 3rd edition of the We Tackle Life podcast, and I am with you on a Sunday night. Hopefully, you are listening to this either as you lay down to get your rest before heading off to work on Monday morning, on your way to work on Monday morning, or certainly before the national championship game, which will be tomorrow night, Monday night, April the 4th. And it's a North Carolina-Kansas match. That is not what I wanted. I do not think that is what most people wanted. I think we all wanted to see. Well, not all, because I know some people don't like him. But we hopefully uh, would have been intrigued to see Mike Krzyzewski and Duke play for his sixth national championship in his final collegiate game. We will not get to see that. North Carolina won the first ever NCAA Final Four semifinal between North Carolina and Duke on Saturday. And it was a great game, a phenomenal game, a wonderful game. It just ended wrong. It ended with a thud because Carolina got a gift foul call late in the game that gave them two free throws. Duke's Mark Williams missed two free throws. And that pretty much affected the end of the game where an incredible three-point shot by Love from Bryce Love from North Carolina uh, handed the victory to the Tar Heels. So congratulations to them. Uh, Hubert Davis will have a, lot, have a fair amount of years to coach, not as many as Coach K, to seek a national title. Hubert Davis has figured something out, or his team's figured something out. They're playing. How did they? How are they an eight seed? How are they an eight seed? Like what? They got players, man. Like they underachieved big time during the regular season to be an eight seed, uh, but they're winning now. So they get the all-time, all-time bragging rights in the Duke North Carolina series because they gave Mike Shashevsky a loss in his final game at Cameron Indoor Stadium and a loss in his final game in no less consequential game than the national semifinals to reach the title game. And if Carolina doesn't win a title now after that, um, big thud after lots and lots of highs for Carolina Blue. I actually hope they do win it because I don't like Kansas. And I think Bill Self cheated for 15 years at Kansas. I don't think I know. And by that, I mean, I don't think, semicolon, I know he cheated for 15 years at Kansas and he got away with it. Now it's impossible to cheat because of name, image, and likeness and everything else. So Kansas wins a title. I will not love it. But, boy, they sure look good against Villanova. Okay, I got into this podcast three minutes or so, and I neglected to say that guess where I went on Saturday? Guess where I went on Saturday? I went out to Mechanicsburg, Ohio, to the headquarters for Hemisphere Coffee Roaster. And I sat down and had a lovely conversation with Paul, my man with Hemisphere, and he poured me a delicious cup of coffee. I don't really drink coffee and so I'm always a little like, oh, I don't know. But then I get the Hemisphere coffee, and I'm like, okay, I see why people like this. It was really good. I don't even know what Paul poured me. We talked about the bourbon barrel coffee. We talked about how they've done very, very well during the pandemic and how business is good. And he's very appreciative of We Tackle Life podcast listeners who have continued to order from Hemisphere. And, you know, I've forgotten that you can set up an account with Hemisphere to get a regular shipment. And it's not like, oh, I don't need coffee every week, Bruce. Okay, well, maybe every month. No, nah, I don't need it every month. Well, you can set it up to order quarterly. You can set it up to order semi-annually. You can set it up to order annually, whatever. 
They make it so easy for you, and you can cancel anytime you want to. So, Hemisphere Coffee Roasters, don't forget the promo code WE TACKLE LIFE in all caps. And Paul and I talked about ministry efforts, and I'm going to go out and speak to um, his group of people who meet there on Sunday morning for a little house church. Looking forward to doing that. Really honored to be asked. And uh, just really consider myself blessed that I've gotten to know someone who's intersection of business, coffee, and his ministry efforts. Uh, Paul was a former missionary, and I guess he's not a former missionary. We're all missionaries uh, in whatever missionary field we've been given, and he has been given the field of people who grow coffee and people who plug into ministry efforts around the world. So when you buy from Hemisphere, you're not only getting the world's best coffee, Ethiopia, Indonesia, Thailand, Nicaragua, other countries, you're getting a little assist, you're giving an assist to the ministry efforts to spread the gospel in those countries. So thank you for doing that. Thank you for buying their coffee. Don't forget, HemisphereCoffeeRoasters.com, promo code we tackle life. Okay, so we got Carolina, and we have Kansas, and uh, Duke's Mike Krzyzewski was, um, of course, first and foremost, worried about his team after their loss. Uh, players were crying. I'm sure Mark Williams felt terrible because he got in foul trouble in the first half. And who knows how the game would have gone had he been out there for the 35 minutes that he's normally out there. He missed two big free throws late. And I thought Paolo Bancaro was fantastic. Whew, man, was he good getting to the basket. I thought there was just so much high-level basketball played out there. And I know, you know, people have very strong feelings against Duke. I think a guy like Mike Krzyzewski is really good for college basketball, and I think college basketball is poorer. And you think about it, legendary assistant coaches, right? We used to have legendary assistant coaches. Legendary coaches, Bruce, where the word assistant came from, I have no idea. Legendary coaches. Do we have legendary coaches anymore? Like, I would say Nick Saban is a legendary coach. I don't know if I'd say Urban's a legendary coach. Urban's a great coach. Urban's one of the four greatest coaches of all time. But is Urban a legendary coach? I don't think he is. He hasn't been anywhere long enough. Uh, Paterno was a legendary coach. Bear Bryant, of course, was a legendary coach. A lot of, it seemed like a lot of places had legendary coach back in the day. Duffy Darty was at Michigan State forever. And Shug Jordan was at Auburn forever. And John McKay was at Southern Cal forever. And... Frank Cush was at Arizona State forever, and but we just don't do that anymore. Because why? Because now, you know, you better win, bro, or you're out. O U T out, gone. C N R, sayonara, see you later. And we don't do legendary coaches in basketball much anymore. Kelvin Sampson's a, a, a Kelvin Sampson's a successful coach. Kelvin Sampson is like all over the place. He's coached everywhere. Indiana, Oklahoma, Kansas. Where was he before he went to Oklahoma? He's somewhere. I forget where it was. And, you know, Nolan Richardson. Eh, he wasn't at Arkansas long enough to be a legendary coach. Dean Smith and Mike Krzyzewski are legendary coaches. John Thompson is a legendary coach at Georgetown. We didn't really care for him, but he's a legendary coach. Roley Massimino at Villanova was a legendary coach. But Roley, too. He went to Cleveland State. He went to UNLV. So, I mean, I just think our culture is such a, like, win now, win now, keep winning. You don't win, you're out. And we just don't have legendary coaches. So, Mike Krzyzewski's not just, like, gone from Duke. Mike Krzyzewski's gone from the sport. 
and the sport is poor. Will you consider John Calipari a legendary coach when he leaves Kentucky, whenever that is? I think Cal's a great coach. Mm. A winning coach? Yeah. Legend? I don't think Cal's a legend. So it's hard to be a legend now. It's just hard. I think the circumstances make it hard to be a, uh, a legend. And so I feel bad losing Mike Krzyzewski because I think he was really good for the game and the game will be poorer without him. And I don't envy John Shire, his guy, taking over at all. Not at all do I envy him. Now, one other note on the N- uh, NCAA title game, Armando Baycott of North Carolina, the big center who uh, turned his ankle late in the game and then fouled out late in the game. Uh, he will play on Monday night, and um, he needs to play because if he doesn't play, Carolina's toast. They might be toast anyway if Kansas shoots like it did on Saturday. Felt bad for Villanova. Villanova, that was a game I don't think they could win. Like, Villanova does really, really well with their system and all that stuff. And I mean, it sounds silly to say because they've won two national titles here pretty recently. But sometimes Nova's just going to run into a super athletic team with size, and they're not going to be able to outshoot them. The other team shoots well, like Kansas shot tremendously well, and there was really nothing Nova could do to win that game. Just nothing to do. I mean, they had a kid injured, one of their starters injured. That might have made some difference. You can't fall down. You cannot fall behind 10 nothing. You fall behind 10 nothing, you are like scrambling, treading water the whole game. And so uh, I was not surprised to see Nova end up losing by, what was it, 11? So nice year for Nova, but uh, the better team won that game. And it'll be interesting to see who wins the game on Monday night. Why don't we get to some basketball that I really care about? Yes, it is my podcast. I can tilt the topics toward what I care about. Before we get into the Ohio State Buckeyes and the revolving door, somebody leaving, somebody coming, and a prediction that I have for what is also coming, not a person, but a prediction, let me remind you that AUI, Associated Underwriters Incorporated, are specialists in helping you business owners put together plans that will cover the insurance benefits and the benefits of your employees and also helping you navigate the conversation to find out what your employees want. And what do they want? I know what I wanted when I came out of college. I wanted health insurance, brother. Well, everybody did back then, but you know what? We're getting to be up there in age. And these kids today, they don't think like we did. Of course, we couldn't be on Obamacare and hang on mom and dad's policy till we were 26. They can. And so a lot of them would rather have flex time off. They'd rather have work from home privileges. They'd rather have something besides health insurance. And you can offer health insurance. You wonder, why is nobody snapping up my job? Well, because you're not offering what they want. Or maybe they want life or they want disability or they want vision or they want dental. AUI specializes in insurance plans, but they also specialize in insurance conversations. So if you're a business owner, and you're having trouble putting together benefits that really seem to like bam, hit the bullseye with employees. Maybe you need Chrissy and the team at AUI to offer you the free service, free, 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 free service of helping you tailor the benefits conversation to what your employees want. They do it free, brother. They get paid by the insurance companies you pick. Why am I calling everybody brother? It's like I'm in Hulk Hogan mode tonight. So, auiinfo.com. Reach out today. Do it online. Chat with Chrissy via their type-in feature, and you're good. Okay, the revolving door opens, and out goes Malachi Branham. And before the door shut, it is say-hello time to Wright State, now Ohio State, shooting guard 
Tanner Holden. Now, would I love to have Malachi Branham back? Of course I would, but we're not getting Malachi Branham back, which I think is a mistake by Malachi Branham. But he's going to go in the first round. He's going to get paid a lot of money. It's not a mistake that should keep him from being a wealthy young man the rest of his life. Branham will turn 19 next month, early next month. About a month from now, he will turn 19. He says that he will enter the draft and keep his eligibility intact. I want to find the best situation and the right fit for me. I am staying in the draft if I'm in the first round because I believe if someone gives me four years to prove myself, I have no doubt they will love what they're getting. So NBA first-round picks get four-year deals. He uh, will be a first-round pick because of his youth. That's an attractive part of the Malachi Branham package. Also, his work ethic. He will be, he's the right size, 6'5". He can be an NBA shooting guard at 6'5". He needs to put on a lot of muscle and strength. But Malachi Branham showed this year with the way he adapted to Big Ten basketball, which is a physical league, that he can find and figure out his way to score. And so he will, somebody will take Malachi Branham. Somebody will be glad to take Malachi Branham. He was the Big Ten's freshman of the year. He became, in my estimation, our 1B. I don't know that he was not even the best player on the team. Here is another quote from Branham. The season was exciting. We had our ups and downs. We battled all year. We stayed together throughout and did our best. To receive Big Ten freshman year was definitely an honor. Showed me that the work was worth it. Advancing against the attorney was fun. I just wanted to make sure I did my part to help the team. I wish I could have been playing at the Final Four. Well, then come back to school. Uh, Blah, 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 blah. I think that was Malachi's publicist who wrote that because Malachi has never, ever in his life in front of the Ohio State basketball media uttered a comment that was more than two short sentences long. He's a quiet young man. He's a very nice, very respectful, polite young man. And so my fear is that he'll get into the NBA and just the life will just eat him up. Now, of course, LeBron James will take him under his wing and Malachi will get picked eh, 10, 12, 15 in there. So he's not going to go to a dreadful team. Although with the NBA, they have traded those number one picks so many times in these salary dump deals. He could end up with the dregs of the NBA. It's just the luck of the draw. You know, for him, say, oh, well, you ought to go to the Lakers, and LeBron could, like, shepherd him. Yeah, the Lakers are a grease fire in a dumpster rolling downhill with no brakes right now. And I don't know anything about the NBA because I haven't watched an NBA game in forever. But Malachi to the Lakers, sure, he'd have LeBron over his shoulder, but um, (laughs) I think Malachi would like to land in a much better situation than the L.A. Lakers, and I don't want a 19-year-old kid with a million bucks in a bank in L.A. So uh, good luck, Malachi. You were a nice young man. I like covering you. I wish I could cover you for another year or two, but bye-bye. Tanner Holden, hello. Nice to have you. Tanner Holden scored 37 points, 37, in Wright State's win over Bryant in the NCAA tournament over. Now, I know what you're saying. Eh, it's Bryant. Yeah, 37. Tanner Holden's a really good player, and Tanner Holden, I think, I think I'm right on this, will have two years of eligibility at Ohio State. He's played three, but he's got the COVID year because anybody who had that extra year, anybody who was here during that year, gets a COVID year. 
He may use it. He may not. He's not the heaviest kid in the world, but he's a scorer. He had 20 games of 20 points or more, and you say, ah, Horizon League, that won't translate. He can fill it up. I like the Tanner Holden get. Like it a lot. Just for minutes, just for quality player. Kid obviously was like a no-star coming out of Wheelersburg. Started all three years at Wright State. Averaged double figures every year at Wright State. Tanner Holden can play. Tanner Holden can shoot. Tanner Holden, I think, will be a starting shooting guard at Ohio State. And he's 6'6". So that's a great get by Chris Holtman. Okay. They also hire an assistant coach. And I like the fact that their new assistant coach is a former head coach. Remember a couple weeks ago I was talking about how Holtman needs to get a guy who's been a head coach. And I advocated somebody who'd been a head coach in the Big Ten. And I was out kind of on the fringes of crazy town when I said Tom Crean or when I said uh, Dane Fife because he's coming from Indiana, <laughs> or I said Archie Miller, right? Well, okay, instead. They go and they follow my advice getting a former head coach, but not anybody who's been a head coach in the Big Ten. The head coach that they have tapped to be an assistant coach is Jack Owens from Miami of Ohio. He was at Miami for five years. He was 70 and 83, 14 and 18 this past year. He did lead them to their first winning record in another year, not this year, since 2009. Man, Miami basketball used to be the gold standard in the MAC. Ron Harper and Wally Zerbiak. Mm, not so much lately. So, uh, Jack Owen is your new Owens, excuse me, is your new coach. Takes the place of uh, either Tony Skin or Ryan Peden as Peden goes off to become the head coach at. Southern Illinois with the Salukis. But there's really big coaching news to be shared here on the We Tackle Life podcast. And it is that the man who led Ohio State to the Final Four twice in his tenure, the winningest all-time coach in Ohio State basketball history, who had been sleeping with the enemy for the last year, has seen the error of his ways, and has departed the stinkhole that is Bloomington, Indiana. He can now come up for air as the head coach of the Butler Bulldogs. Ladies and gentlemen, say hello to Mr. Thad Mata. Yes, Thad Mata is back in college coaching as the head coach at Butler. Now, right about now, if you're having flashbacks to a former life and you're going, what year is it again? Thad Mata's at Butler and Sean Miller's at Xavier? Yes. No, Randy Ayers is not coming back to Ohio State. No, Jim O'Brien's not coming back to Ohio State. Holtman's, Holtman's solid, okay? But Thad Mata is back at Butler. Now, there were reports on Sunday that Butler was getting ready to hire Jeff Bowles. Jeff Bowles, former Thad Mata assistant coach. They were like, why take the copy if we can get the original? So Thad has had a home at some point since he left Ohio State. I know he's had a home in Indianapolis. I'm glad he's at Butler. He was there one year, and then he left for Xavier, and they hated him when he left. How could you play here three years and then leave us? Well, he went to Xavier, and he was there three years, and he won 26 games every year. And then he came to Ohio State. So Thad, he's going back to his roots, man. Going back to his alma mater. He's got Barry Collier, the AD there. Barry Collier coached before Thad. And Barry Collier's got a solid gig, and so he brought his boy back to be the head coach at Butler. Now, Butler's not the sleepy little 
Midwest Athletic Conference team that it was when Thad was there before. I think they were in the Midwest Athletic Conference. Maybe they were. What was that thing? Maybe there's another conference they were in. Anyway, they're in the Big East now. They're in the Big East. So, mm, don't know how that's going to work. Thad, of course, the question with Thad is the health. Uh, Barry Collier referred to Thad's energy. Oh, we're getting Thad's energy. Well, Barry, have you been around Thad lately? Like, Thad used to be relentless, just relentless. I remember, here's a Thad story for you. So, one time, it's a Monday, and Thad is having, we're having an interview day at Ohio State. And Thad, we get all done, and Thad is sitting there talking, just chatting like he did, uh, just off the cuff. And he's like, man, I'm so tired. And I'm like, why are you tired? And he said, well, um, I didn't get home till like, uh, you know, one in, one in the morning. I said, well, where were you? I was recruiting. This is in the middle of basketball season. I said, you were recruiting? He's like, yeah. He says that we played Saturday night. So then we, I got on a plane Sunday, flew to like someplace in New England. He was looking at players. And he got back on a plane, and he's coming back. And the plane was supposed to land at Philadelphia over Lincoln, uh, you know, in Philadelphia. Well, they were playing an NFL playoff game at Lincoln Financial Field. And they wouldn't let the planes, like, fly over the field during the game. So they had to stay in a holding pattern until the game was over. So Thad gets back late and la da 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 And I'm like, what are you doing going out on a Sunday looking for players? Like, you're you're the head coach, dude. Like, that's why you have assistant coaches do that. And he looked at me and he goes, oh, no, no, no. I got to see him. I got to see him. Which I was like, whoa, this guy doesn't want to get stuck with any crappy players because assistants saw him and said, Hey, this guy can play. You know who got stuck with that? Obi-Wan Kenobi Brian. Uh, O'Brien a lot. O'Brien. O'Brien was not the kind of guy who would go out and get home at 2, 3 in the morning on a Monday after scouting players all day. He'd send his assistants out to do it. They'd go, hey, this guy's a killer, coach. And they'd sign him and Obi'd be like, this guy can't play a lick. So that's how we ended up with, I'm not going to mention any names, but at any rate, Thad always had to see him. Well, then Thad had the bad back surgery at Ohio State. And I always thought he was uh, quite, quite classy, not suing Ohio State for the back surgery that went bad that caused him to have the uh, drop foot. It caused him to, like, have to sit on a stool, and he was very, very uncomfortable. Nobody knows the physical pain Thad went through except Thad and Barbara and some of the people around the program. He was really in physical pain. And that's why his coaching suffered because his recruiting suffered. His recruiting suffered because his health suffered. So that's my question about Thad at Butler. I think the, as the old biblical saying goes, the spirit is willing, but the flesh might be weak. The spirit is willing, but the flesh might be weak. So we'll see how Thad does as the head coach at Butler, but I like having him back. Now, now, here's my prediction for what's coming on the Ohio State basketball front. I've been thinking about this, and there's only one sensible thing for Ohio State to do now that EJ's leaving, Branham's leaving, and you know what's coming, right? Oh, hey, Mr. Four-Star Basketball Recruit. You know, Chris Holman's coaching for his job. Oh, he's got that recruiting class coming in. But you know what? 
He had a class like that a couple years ago. DJ Carton left after a year. Lonzo Gaffney left after a year. You watch. You watch. It's all going to go bad. Malachi Branham couldn't wait to get out of there. EJ Liddell left a year early. You don't see Ohio State giving Chris Holman a contract extension, right? He's got two years left. That's what's coming. That's what's coming out there this month. That's what's coming as Holtman's out recruiting. So, so, it is my prediction, without any assurances from anyone inside the program or anywhere else, but this is not my first rodeo, ladies and gentlemen. And I'm going to tell you right now, I think the Ohio State Buckeyes are going to be giving and announcing a significant contract extension for Chris Holtman in the next eh, week or two, week or two, I'd say, to put to de- death the rumors that he's coaching for his job. I don't think he's coaching for his job at all. I think they feel good about where they are. The Tanner Holden get is a great get. They need a big. They need a They need a big. I'm sorry, Zed Key. They need a big. Um, and it wouldn't hurt him to get another scorer, another wing scorer. They need a tough guy. They need a tough guy is what they need. You can't count on freshmen to be tough guys. can't count on Zed Key to be a tough guy. Zed Key's not a tough guy. You need a tough guy. They need that. So let's see what they get. But I predict Holtman going to get a contract extension just to keep the Wolves at bay. All right. What else do we have? Oh, we have Tiger at the Masters. Oh, Tiger at the Masters. Now, I don't get all geeked out about Tiger playing the Masters like most people do, but I do think it's a great story because of his car accident. Totally his fault. But nevertheless, Tiger playing the Masters will be a big deal. He says it'll be a game-time decision, which means Thursday. And uh, would I be surprised if he played? No. Would I be surprised if he won? Yes. I'd be stunned if he won. Uh, So... Uh, but he's back. It's good. Good for him. Glad he's back. Congratulations. Uh, what else? What else? What else? What else is out there? Uh, your uh, South Carolina Tar Heels, South Carolina Tar Heels, your South Carolina Gamecocks win the uh, NCAA championship over UConn. Uh, so that's got to be like one of the first times Geno's lost in the uh, NCAA championship game. Uh, Jason Whitlock of the Blaze, and I like Jason a lot. Jason Whitlock of the Blaze tweeted tonight that Dawn Staley will be an NBA head coach inside of two years. Bold prediction. I'm not going to say no. I don't know. But that's what Jason Whitlock tweeted, so we'll give Big Wit the credit if he gets that right. Okay, final read and then the faith portion of the podcast. Final read goes to my friends at Willis Spangler Starling, great attorney firm. My attorney firm should be your attorney firm. Whatever case you need, whatever legal question you have, Willis Spangler Starling can and will do it. They will do it with, first and foremost, utmost expertise, integrity, character. And also, I would say, like, humility. Humility in that there's no, eh, I'm an attorney, like, you'll listen to me. No. They reason with you. They explain it to you. I have been amazed how hands-on they are in terms of explaining things so that I could understand them. And legalese, the jargon, can be a little bit confusing, but not when it's explained to you by the great partners and associates at Willis Spangler Starling. They're on Truman Boulevard in Hilliard, just a little bit north of the Mill Run area, 
And so check them out online, willisattorneys.com, willisattorneys.com. All right, so in the faith portion of the podcast today, I have been thinking about and talking about a lot the issue in our society today of transgenderism. Now, the reason I've been thinking about it a lot is because it comes uh, into conversations on matters nationally, like the Florida Parents' Rights and Education Bill, and locally, as a woman who is uh, one of my uh, radio listeners sent me a link the other day to a church camp, uh, which I have heard of before. I have heard of Camp Akita, a church camp. It's run by First Community Church in Columbus, a very big church, three campuses, I believe. And the Camp Akita summer camp experience for first graders up through high school uh, is a camp that celebrates, welcomes, and makes no real allowance other than they treat transgender campers and counselors just like anybody else. If you are a second grade boy and you're in a cabin uh, with some other boys and there's a girl in there who is transgender and says she's a boy, uh, she can stay in your cabin and your parents aren't told and it's supposed to be no big deal. It's like everybody's everybody here says they're a boy, so they're a boy. They can put uh, in a cabin of girls, eighth grade girls, they can put a male counselor. Well, no, not a male counselor, a, a, a transgender female, a transgender woman, because I guess female's not. I don't know. I can't keep track of all of it. <laughs> but at any rate, they can put a they can put a, a biological dude in there who says he's a woman, transgender woman. He can be the counselor in the room with the girls. And no, they don't like okay this with the parents, and no, they don't they don't tell you. They don't tell you before. Their their website's very specific. I applaud them on this. Their website is very specific at Camp Akita. They say that parents will not be told before, during, or after the camp if there was a transgender camper or a transgender counselor in there. So transgenderism is in the news. Okay, so I've been thinking a lot about it, and my response to it as a Christian, my response to it as a talk show host, my response to it as a Christian talk show host, my response to it as a podcaster who does a sports podcast, yes, but ends it every day, every day that I do it, with a faith portion of the podcast. And we are going to see more transgender athletes on the spectrum of transgender girls, which is a biological man, like Leah Thomas went through puberty as a male, uh, bigger, stronger, faster, generally, it's it's important to say generally, bigger, stronger, faster than a biological female. The male will have wider shoulders, narrower hips, bigger muscles, bigger bones, more innate strength, generally. That is true. Okay. So this has the capacity to ruin all NCAA women's sports. It does. It just does. You don't see any women dunking in NCAA basketball. If you get a 6'7 biological male who says he's a woman, uh, he could be uh, a very, very, very average uh, basketball player in Division One men. He'd be a <laughs> trans, transational super. He'd be a, a transformative superstar 
in women's basketball. Be the greatest women's basketball player ever. He just would. I mean, you can sit there and go, oh, Cheryl Miller, blah, blah, blah. No, he'd be the greatest ever. He just would. So you have to, we have to sort this out from a faith perspective, okay? So I, I sat down today, and I really want to get this right because I really think it's important to speak to this um, from a biblical perspective. And so I sat down today, and I sat down uh, before church to read my Bible, as I do um, most every day and always on Sundays. And for some reason, I thought, you ought to Google what is the Bible. Like, you know, I know the Bible doesn't mention the term transgender, but I was like, okay, let's just Google what does the Bible say about transgenderism. Now, now when you Google it, you're getting your sources from Google, which is a, you know, progressive company. So I expected it to be in the pro-transgender, this is where it is in the Bible that, you know, extols transgenderism. And that is what I found. And so, but I thought it was as useful for me to read the perspective of, in the case of what I read, it was both by a couple gay pastors about transgenderism. And so I prayed and I thought and I prayed and I thought. And then this is what I came up with. Um, I want to make clear that God does not love me. God does not love I'm a bad example. Let's pick somebody who's really a good, you know, a really good example of Christian. God does not love Franklin Graham. God does not love Charles Stanley. God does not love John Piper. God does not love John MacArthur. God does not love the most famous, most loyal, faithful Christian more than he loves someone who is transgender. He does not. He may love Franklin Graham's response to the love of God more than he loves the response of a transgender, but I'm not even sure that's correct. In the sense of, I view people who are in the midst of a transition, in many times, in many instances, I view them the same as I view someone immersed in human trafficking. Let's say a teenage girl who's been human trafficked, and she is um, passed around from men to men. She is enslaved in drugs. She is uh, lorded over by a pimp. The people who are trafficking her are taking advantage of her. And I believe that the people who are groomed into transgenderism in whatever way that is Sometimes it's through horrific experiences at home. Sometimes it's through domineering parents. Sometimes it's through bad parenting. Sometimes it's through being encouraged to do so, looking for acceptance. Sometimes it's through myriad factors. But I view the people who are succumbing to this ideology as victims, as victims. And we, as Christians, must be called to respond with love to victims, to victims. We must. Now, there. I will say this. There is a point, much like there is with someone who is, let's say there's someone who's human trafficked, okay? And they get out and then they go into the porn industry and then they get, you know, they get a little money in their pocket and they can be independent, but they, they, they continue in the porn industry. Now, some of that is because they were groomed to be part of that. But there is an age of accountability for every person. There is at some point a place where if you are able 
to get out, if you are able to turn away, if you are not enslaved, and I do mean that in a real sense. I don't mean like you just love doing it or you find the benefits of doing it. And so, no, I mean like you cannot escape physically from it. That's enslaved, how I'm using it here. Um, but if you're not enslaved in it and you continue to do it, then there does become a point where you're accountable for it. And I believe that is what I see when I see people, uh, teachers, activists, um, who are pushing this transgender agenda on kids. So here's where I believe, let me, let me talk about a couple scriptural scriptural, uh, scriptural parameters by which I believe transgenderism is an evil ideology. First of all, the God, God talks about our bodies being the temple of the Holy Spirit. If you are transgender and you are being told you need to take hormones or have a surgery that would be uh, mutilating to your body, I do not believe that is honoring the body that God gave you. I believe that is disrespectful to God. I believe that is a sin, and I believe other people can entice you into that sin. But that is one area of the transgender ideology that I think is at extreme odds with Scripture. The other is, I can't imagine that there's a church that that teaches anything other than this basic premise that God loves you. Okay, Let's take this First Community Church in Columbus. So they got these transgender... uh, um, friendly policies for their camp. And there's a kid, Let's this kid's nine years old, let's say. Kid goes to camp, and he's transgender. He's a boy, thinks he's a girl. And he's sitting around a campfire one night, and he's got his counselor there, and the counselor's like, God God loves you. God loves all of you. He loves you all the same. He loves you with eternal love. He loves you with sending his son to die for you. I mean, I assume they're preaching the gospel while they're welcoming, you know, transgender kids. And the kid who's transgender raises his hand and says, if God loves me, why did he make me the wrong sex? Why did he make me a boy if I'm really a girl? He didn't make, you know, this, this, this girl over here, he didn't make her a boy. She doesn't have to take hormone blockers. She doesn't have to have surgery. Like, why me? Like, what do you mean God loves me? Like, why would he do this? Like, I get bullied because I'm transgender. And there are people who do that. I'm uncomfortable in my own body. I'm tormented. I'm, 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 I'm like, I, I don't feel like he loves me. Like, what are you talking about? And by the way, (laughs) this is a really smart 11-year-old kid. Say, you're telling me God has all authority, which, by the way, the Great Commission starts with, all authority has been given to me. That's the first part of the Great Commission. We talk about the Great Commission as go and make disciples and baptize them. That's the Great Commission. No, that's not the Great Commission. The Great Commission is, A, all authority has been given to me on heaven and earth. So, go. I'm telling you to. And then it says, after you baptize them, what do you do? (gasps) Teach them to obey my commandments. Why is that important? Because if you take orders from someone, you obeying them, that indicates humility, submission. They know more than I do. They know better than I do. They know what's better for me more than I do. So that's the part of the Great Commission. So that is why I think if you're looking at a God who you're giving all authority to, well, he screwed up making me the right sex. How's he got? What kind of authorities he have? He screwed up the biggest thing he could do with me. So that, too, is a part of the transgender ideology 
that I think is at odds with Scripture. Um, so there's a lot of churches out there that approve of the transgender LGBTQ lifestyle, uh, and I think they're afraid to make people uncomfortable. I think they're afraid to tell people uh, your feelings don't rule your heart. God has established his truth. God has planted his truth in every human heart. God has created you with a longing after him. This insatiable necessity that people in the LGBTQ community have to be to gain the approval of everyone for their lifestyle is not something that I have relative to my own sexuality. I am blessed that I was not born attracted to men. I was blessed that I was not born confused about whether or not I was a man. I have empathy for anyone who is given a temptation I was not given. But it is not loving to tell them, you know, you're you're right. You 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 should pursue becoming a woman or you're right. You should pursue like loving a man. Truth is only loving if it is authentic. And I cannot as someone who submits my life to God. I cannot tell someone that something is okay when I genuinely believe that the complete and total takeaway from Scripture is overwhelmingly clear that immorality of any kind is a sin. It is an, it is an idol to have a portion of your life that you will not surrender to God's authority. It is an idol. If it's gluttony, if it's profanity, if it's pornography, if it's whatever it is, if you say, Lord, you can have all my life, but you can't have this. This is mine. I need this. I'm keeping this. I'm positive I'm right on this. I don't care what your word says. I'm positive I'm right on this. That's an idol. And in that situation, in that particular matter, you are God. You are the ultimate authority. And so I think, you know, Jesus is very embraceable as a Savior. I'm a sinner. Come save me. <laughs> Make a way for me to be saved. Very embraceable. Nobody turns away Jesus, the Savior. When people turn Jesus away, they're turning away Jesus as the Lord. They're turning him away as the authority over their life. They're turning him away when they feel something, and it's the something opposite of what they're told to do by God for their own good their own peace, to demonstrate submission, to demonstrate obedience, to demonstrate humility, to demonstrate devotion. So that is what I see, and I will continue to say what I genuinely believe is the truth of the Bible, which is that God made men and women and that he ordained marriage between a man and a woman to be the only holy union, the only approved union. And I know this is not a popular current cultural viewpoint, but I'm absolutely certain 
that the Bible does not endorse the LGBTQ movement. So, with that, that's about as real as it gets to start your week. Watch the game tonight. Hope you enjoy it. I surmise this might lead to some emails to uh, wetacklelife at gmail.com, wetacklelife at gmail.com. I do enjoy interacting with you, and I appreciate you listening to the podcast, and you can review it on iTunes, and I'll read them all. So, have a great one. Talk to you soon.